Welcome to the Experience Christian Church Message Podcast. We are a church startup based out of Exton, Pennsylvania, committed to giving the community a fresh start with God and with church. Our mission is to help people experience God's love in a practical way. We would love to connect with you. Would you text ECC info to 94000 or go to our website, experiencecc.org for more information and to learn how you can be a part of our community. Enjoy today's message. All right. Well, that was powerful. Did you hear that? Man, did you feel that? A little bit of bass there. Well, thank you to our youth who came forward and led in welcome and prayers. It is so good to hear your voices. Fifth Sunday was something my church did growing up, and I gave my first sermon when I was like 12. I think it was 90% scriptures with like seven words in between, and, um, but it gave me that confidence to want to do it, and I hope children get a feel of using their gifts. So as Fifth Sundays happen, we want to be able to have a chance to do that with your kids. So... Last Sunday, I started out with an illustration using bread. Remember that? And several of you said you were hungry by the end of it because of Subway's 13 choices of bread, slightly overwhelming. So today I want to start with pasta. We're going to have a pasta quiz. So I'm not good at Italian. And so, Jay, do you speak Italian? Okay, no. Jay does not speak Italian. But if you want to correct me in my mince pronunciation of the pastas, feel free. I will hear that. And so here's how this works. There's a huge prize that's just going to be life-giving. And so you want to have your competition on. Five questions. We're going to look at the way these words are translated. So the first one here is, my understanding is I at the end of Italian is an E sound, right? And it's an E sound if it's two E's. doesn't make sense to me, but here we go. Here's my first choice. Annalini. Does that mean big O's, little rings, bicycle tires, or donuts? Just shout it out. Which one do you think it is? Little rings. Little rings. Wow. You guys are sharp. That's it. So if you got that one, that one doesn't count because that's just the example. All right? So here we go. Now it's getting serious. There's five questions. Campanelli. Okay? Does that mean bellflower, bugle, seashell, or ear? Ear? Bellflower? If you're going seashell. All right. If you said bellflower, give yourself a point. You look at this. I love the competition. Fierce, fierce competition. All right. Chia Kelly. Okay. Chia Kelly. That's what's next. Does that mean elbow, chin, snail, or curve? Elbow, snail. The answer is snail. Snail. Look at that. All right. Who's, got, who's two for two? No one. I appreciate your honesty. All right. Next, we have Jamelli. Where's that? Yeah, Jamelli. That's it. Twins, bladder, snake, or fruit? Who said twins? Twins is it. You got it. There's twins. Next is Orichetta. Maybe. <laughs> I know. All right. Cheese, little ears, seashells, or plates? Who's going with Beth? And <laughs> with little ears? Who trusts Beth? All right. Who does not trust Beth at all? And <laughs> Beth was right. You should have trusted her. Little ears. And the last one, Strazapretti. Okay. Does that mean stranded pedestrians, pretty songs, 
strong pairs, or priest stranglers? Pretty songs, of course, the worship leader yells, pretty songs, pretty songs. <laughs> wrong, you're wrong. <laughs> All right, it is priest stranglers. So if you invite me over for some of that pasta, I'm offended. I'm offended and I'm not coming. So how many of you got all five? All right, no one? Who's got four? <gasps> you got four. Okay, anybody else have four? All right, you're the winner. Here is your big prize, radiatory. I'm welcome for dinner. I'm open for dinner three days this week. I'll let you figure out when. Here you go. You're welcome. And um, I should have put that one on there because radiatory means radiator. I mean, that's pretty funny. That's uh, the most simple one. I would have got that one right. So how many different pastas do you think there are? How many words do you think there are for pasta in, Italian, in Italy? So the website I went to said in a conservative estimate is 350, and uh, it's more likely closer to 600 different kinds of pasta. And you think about it, each one of those has their own meaning, right? So that's a lot of words to use. And when you think about how many words exist, when I went to the Oxford English Dictionary, it said that over 500,000 words are listed there speaking English all over the world. And you'd think with access to this many words, wouldn't we be really good at using them? Wouldn't we be able to articulate ourselves just perfectly and everything would be fantastic? And the answer is probably no. You know, how often are you at a loss for words? Someone may see how you're feeling and you have a really difficult time expressing how you feel, right? And sometimes you have lots of words. Someone will ask you a simple question, hey, how you doing? And you just kind of unload and you realize like, oh, they were just saying hi to me, but you're three minutes in. <laughs> and you're like, sorry, you may have used too many words. Maybe someone said something that was very heavy and you were at a loss of words. You didn't know how to comfort them. Or maybe you misspoke and spoke a lot of words to them and you may have over-communicated. Some sometimes we say things we don't mean. Sometimes we say things to be mean if we're honest, especially as you mentioned to those that are closest to us. And so words are challenging for us to use. They're also challenging as we're in a world with people also saying imperfect things, right? Other people get a loss for the words that they're sharing. They don't know how to express themselves. They don't know how to say what they're feeling. And so we're in an environment, in a world, where things are often said that are helpful and non-helpful. You may have had someone say words to you that was an anchor that carried you through your whole life. If you were fortunate enough to have someone said, hey, I really believe in you, and I appreciate how you have such determination and you can get through any hard situation." If you've heard someone say that, whenever you face a hard situation, you kind of hear that person's whisper in your ear, and you almost feel empowered to make a good decision, a wise decision, to get through adversity, right? But maybe you've heard someone say something that was unkind, and that word almost comes up when things are challenging. I can remember when I was several of the kids' age in here, I was in third grade sitting in a Sunday school classroom, and there was eight of us, and the teacher would ask for volunteers to read. And, you know, I was one of those kids that was kind of an extrovert. I liked to talk. I said, ooh, ooh, pick me, pick me. And I probably did it one too many times that particular Sunday. So after I read the text, my good friend at the time looked at me and said, you know, you're not that good of a reader. <laughs> <laughs> and for the rest of my life, literally, I still hear his voice when I go to read out loud at times. And I called him up two years ago, and I was like, do you remember saying that? And he laughed so hard and said, no, I don't remember saying that. I said that. I'm like, yes, you did. 
I love you. Let me fill you with kind words. But yeah, it was true. And he completely forgot about it, yet those words anchored throughout my life and stuck with me. I literally was reading scripture to a, a group of individuals, and I just heard that voice. You're not that good of a reader in the middle of reading. You know how sometimes when you, as you're reading, you hear voices? That almost cost me my profession because of his silliness. But it reminds me of a high school. I was in high school, and it was a poem by Emily Dickinson. And it said, a word is dead when it is said, some say. I say it just begins to live that day. And what's interesting is just like Rob, sometimes we just say words flippantly, and we completely miss the impact. We completely forget about it. We move on. We say something. It could be a compliment. could be a good thing or a bad thing. But sometimes words just stick, don't they? And for the hearer, they can take a life force of its own. It can propel someone to greatness, or it can almost cast a shadow over them. And those power of the words are huge. The Bible is clear on this. Proverbs 18.21 says, The tongue can bring death or life. And those who love to talk we'll reap the consequences, right? We reap what we sow. We, we sow great words. Man, we reap the consequences of beautiful, healthy relationships. But if we're destructive with our tongues, well, it's quite the opposite. Words are powerful, and we know this. So the message is pretty simple today. I'm thankful to have the kids in the room, so I'm hoping it's as helpful for a third grader as it is for an adult, because we just speak words, but sometimes we don't inventory our words or how they land and what happens going on. So Let's say a prayer together. Father God, thank you for the chance to use words to connect with you. And God, thank you for your power of your word that speaks life to us. Everything we say was because you spoke it into existence, God. And so God, we're mindful and we want you to speak into our lives. We want to have you speak into our hearts. And God, we want to be known as a people who speak life-giving words. And that doesn't come by trying hard. That comes from the empowerment of your spirit. So we love you and we're thankful for you. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Well, the first obvious thing is words can cause damage and destruction, can't they? You probably didn't have to think very hard to hear a word that was spoken to you come to you during that moment. Words can have unintended consequences. It reminds me of fire. I don't know if I should share this illustration today, but I was about 12 years old and I had a fire get out of hand. I don't know if you've seen a fire get out of hand before, but my friends and I, I'll remind you, I grew up on a farm in West Virginia, so my illustrations usually involve power tools and equipment. My parents said, football's too dangerous. Here's a chainsaw. You know, that's kind of how I, I was uh, raised. And so we cleared, uh, we were along a stream, we were bored in the summer. We're like, hey, let's build a camp where we can start camping out near this running stream. So we cleared out all these trees, and about probably two or three, right? And then there was just this bunch of bushes, so we used a weed eater to clean it out. We made a campsite, and the first thing you make after a campsite is what? A fire pit, right? You gotta have a fire pit, and it had rained the day before, so it was a little damp, but yet we were determined. So we built the rocks around, TP'd the woods. Again, I'm 13 years old, all this wisdom. Go to light the fire, it's not lighting. The paper, it was just the paper would burn, the wood was too wet. And I was like, huh. Can't start a fire, weed eater. Can't start a fire, weed eater. Ah, let me put some gas from the weed eater on the fire. Do this, and I'm like, safety first. Take the weed eater, put it right over here. Then I walk around here, light the fire. Oh, fire, fire trail. Fire trail, weed eater is on fire. Full flames. I'm thinking car blows up in every movie, right? So I'm telling my friend Jeff, run. And we're like running as fast as we can, and we get like 15 yards away. Turn around, fire about as tall as that speaker, you know, 
out the weed eater. He's like, it's not going to blow the gas caps off. And I'm like, how do you know about combustion? You are so smart. So I grab the weed eater, hold it out like this. I walk it to the stream, throw it into the stream. The water catches on fire. <laughs> Gasoline is lighter than water. For all you science folks, you know this. So then the water's on fire. I'm like, what do I do now? So I take a shovel and I splash it around. It goes out. And then I realize I probably caused an ecological disaster that I'll read about later on <laughs> downstream. But my intention was to just use a little gasoline to cause a little fire that could keep us warm. But there was a trail and a lot of destruction. And that weed eater was history. Now, fortunately, I was the one who weed eated at the helm. So I hid that thing, and my dad didn't find out about it for five years. <laughs> but you learned the point. Fire is dangerous. James 3, 5, and 6 says, The tongue is a small thing that makes grand speeches, but a tiny spark can set a great forest on fire. Among all the parts of the body, the tongue is a flame of fire. It is a world, a whole world of wickedness, corrupting your entire body. It can set your whole life on fire, for it is set on fire by hell itself. Those are really strong words from James talking about the power of words. When I was researching this, I saw a CNN article that said that there was a fire that started in 2020. It was called the El Dorado Wildfire. 22,000 acres of damage. One firefighter lost his life. Two other firefighters were injured. Numerous homes were consumed over this destructive fire that was initiated from a smoke bomb at a gender reveal party. A small spark caused innumerable damage. Intense language that was shared. I ask a few folks, you know, you've heard that saying, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. You know the power of words already. But I ask a few folks on Facebook, what, how has words spoken to you carried over your life with you? Some people pointed to some words that some teachers had shared. One student who wasn't paying attention in class was told, careless mistakes, not paying attention, we'll see where you end up. Imagine navigating life feeling that kind of pressure. Another teacher said, why don't you understand this? Talking to a fourth grader who couldn't understand math. And she said, I never liked math ever again. One student was told, you can't play an instrument because you don't know enough about music. I was sad I really wanted to learn, but I never attempted again. A teacher said, if only you'd apply yourself. But this student had dyslexia, and there was no level of applying himself that would make it better. Family members shared some harsh things. You have legs like your dad, and your legs, and his legs are fat. She's a nutritionist now. Someone was told, what man would want to marry you? Imagine dating in that realm. One woman was very vulnerable. She says, my mother told me, you ruined your life when I became a teenage mom. Many years after I realized every decision I made was based on that statement, trying to prove that I didn't. I made a lot of mistakes trying to prove her words wrong. One gal decided to sing in church. After singing a solo in her church, one of her friend's parents walked up and said, you know, with some voice lessons, you'll be good. Said this is in front of her whole friend group. She never sang at that church again. If we're honest, we could put ourselves in some of those statements, couldn't we? Catch us on a bad day. Catch us tired. 
catch us frustrated and maybe we'll let a little zinger out that we don't think will matter. But 20 years later, someone's still walking around and it's ruminating in their head. Powerful words are. The second thing is words can actually heal and build up. And you know this too. Proverbs 12, 18 says, Some people make cutting remarks, but the words of the wise bring healing. I was excited to watch Steph Curry's Apple TV documentary called Underrated. And it starts off with Reggie Joyner reading these statements about Steph Curry. If you're not familiar with who Steph Curry is, phenom basketball player, Golden State Warriors. These statements were read at the beginning of the documentary by Reggie Miller. Far below NBA standards in regard to explosiveness explosiveness and athleticism. At 6'2", he's extremely small for the NBA shooting guard position. Do not rely on him to run your team. He can overshoot and rush into shots. Doesn't like when defenses are too physical with him. Not a great finisher around the basketball due to around the basket due to his size and physical attributes. Needs to add some muscle to his upper body, but appears as though he'll always be skinny. This is the draft report of Stephen Curry. This was said, and then they cut to him winning the three-point record of all time. What would it be like to suit up and play basketball after hearing those statements about who you were? Every time you miss a shot, you're thinking, I shoot, did I shoot too much, just like they said? Am I too small? Do I belong here? Every time defense pushes you a little bit, oh, what, does this rattle me? He said that uh, no college has looked at him because of his size, and there was one college that was interested in him. It was Davidson, and the coaches really saw potential in him. They loved his heart, how he, even when he messed up, he would rally and just show courageous heart and would go after it. And so the coaches went over, and after they were planning a whole meeting, and they were two to three minutes into their spiel to answer every single question the, the family may ask, and Steph just cuts them off. He goes, I want to be a wildcat. I'm coming to play for you. They were ecstatic, and when they went to leave, Steph's mom said to the coach, don't worry, coach, we're going to fatten him up for you this summer. Same words he's heard. Coach looked at him and said, don't worry, we'll take him just as he is. And he said, when I heard that, I believed he saw something in me that I could come and participate in the team and I had something of value. Words can heal. You're not stuck in the words that you were told. And maybe those feel like a prison but your words can come and bring healing. When I heard that story, I was like, man, the fact that confidence can come, that you can overcome hard adversity, because here's where Steph Curry is now, four-time NBA champion, two-time NBA Most Valuable Player, NBA Finals MVP, NBA All-Star Game MVP, and a nine-time NBA All-Star. Not too bad for someone who couldn't cut it, right? Paul said these words about building others up. Paul said in Ephesians 4.29, Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. What a filter. Does this benefit the person I'm speaking to when I share these words? Is this good? Is this helpful? Paul's message is clear. He doesn't say limit unwholesome talk. He says don't let any unwholesome talk. He says eliminate unwholesome talk. There was a rabbi, his name is Joseph Telushkin. He wrote a book, Words That Hurt, Words That Heal. I didn't read his book, but I read the article, and it gave this quote, which was really powerful. In this article, he would talk to crowds and audiences about the power of our words, and then he would ask them, could you go 24 hours without saying any unkind words about or to another person? 
And in the audience, some would raise their hands and signify yes. Many people would laugh, and a handful of people would shout no. And he made this declaration. He said, if you, can go, if you can't go 24 hours without drinking liquor, you're addicted to alcohol. If you can't go 24 hours without smoking, you're addicted to nicotine. So if you can't go 24 hours without saying unkind words about others, then you've lost control over your tongue. What a powerful, powerful statement. He says, as Paul said, don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs. May it benefit those who listen. So what do we do? Do we just try harder? Is that the goal? Do we just make it a pledge? I'm not saying anything mead for 24 hours. Is that what happens? Is that what we just have to do? We just have to work at it? Well, it's not that simple. Jesus said it this way. Words flow from the heart, not the mouth. Jesus said in Luke 6, 45, a good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart. And an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. Hurting people say hurtful things. You've heard that statement, right? It takes more than mouthwash to get our mouth cleaned out. It's not soap and water, it's soap and hearts. And so that's a little harder to get to, isn't it, as a parent? And so when we think about it, we might think it's just about trying harder, but inevitably something slips through the filter, right? In fact, if you want to know how your heart's doing, inventory how your mouth's doing. I was leaving here to pick up my children because uh, my wife and Carrie are dropping off son at my son at camp. And so I'm leaving here at 9.10. I've got to be back at 9.40 for prayer gathering, right? Like using my tongue to pray to God. And so I'm driving home, and wouldn't you know it, somebody's going 28 and a 35. And I'm like, <laughs> I'm about to preach on prayer, and I'm going to let this horn do some talking for me. But I didn't. It's Sunday. But I promise you, I put on worship music. I'm serious. It's a hard time. My kids got in the car and worship music went on, wasn't it? And so, how's your mouth go when somebody cuts you off? What comes out of your mouth? When someone doesn't misses an assignment, what words come out of your mouth? Probably has less to do with that person, a lot about what's going on here, doesn't it? When you're disappointed, when you're disappointed in life. And we try really hard at our filter. Maybe you've said something like this, I can't believe that just came out of my mouth. Well, it didn't. It came out of your heart. Hit your hand, hit your hand uh, with a hammer. What comes out? Just an inventory. That's all it is. It's a heart. It's an x-ray. But we don't try to fix our mouths by focusing on our mouth. We fix our mouth by focusing on our hearts. And Jesus says, there's ways that we can do that. Proverbs says we can do that. Proverbs 4.23 says, guard your hearts above all else for it determines the course of your life. You know, he says, guard your hearts, protect your hearts, protect them from words that come at them. That's a defensive posture, right? Someone says something cruel that's incorrect or insignificant or mean. We can block that. We don't have to let it penetrate. We can surrender that kind of word to God. We can surrender those toxic thoughts. But we also have to watch what we choose to let in our hearts, right? I can tell you, if I'm listening to certain music or watching too many certain TV shows, it just kind of does something in my heart and it just becomes natural. I'm like, you know, it's not that this is wrong or the news, you watch too much of the news and you just feel yourself, your mouth starting to be more critical or more 
Rouge, you might say, I need a detox, right? I'm just going to listen to worship music for a bit, or I'm just going to make sure I'm getting God's Word in my heart. I liked what Solomon said a few verses before that one. Maybe you haven't heard this in context. He says, my child, speaking as a loving father to his child, pay attention to what I say. Listen carefully to my words. Don't lose sight of them. Let them penetrate deep into your heart. Let these kind of words come in because this will clean you out. He's let them penetrate deep in your heart for they bring life to those who find them and healing to their whole body. Guard your heart above all else for it determines the course of your life. Words will penetrate our hearts. The question is, which words are we going to allow to stay there? Which words do we need God to do? Philippians 4.8, Paul says, fix your thoughts. In other words, attune your heart to what is true, honorable, right, pure, lovely, admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of prayer. Good things going in produces good going out. So what are those things? It's God's word. That's true. If you've heard you're worthless, you're invaluable, hear God's word who says you are fearfully and wonderfully made. Nothing will separate you from God's love. What word do you need to hear that will counter the destructive nature? You hear no one cares for you? God cares for you. You heard there's no overcoming? God says, you, I've overcome the world and I am with you. How can God's word enter your heart and challenge those? Do you have a file called a rainy day file where you save notes where someone's wrote to you and you just open it up every now and again and just look at something and just see kind words and allow them to wash over you? It's a gift if you have that file. Read over that. Let those thoughts that are true and lovely and admirable affect who you are because when it gets in, will come out. And what's really great about all of this is that we can be life-giving producers for others, can't we? We can speak words that heal, and it honors God. I love Psalm 19:14. David says these words. He says, May the words of my mouth and the meditation of the heart the things I think about that will affect my words. He says, may they be pleasing to you. O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. In other words, my rock, where I base the truth of my life on, my redeemer who comes in and heals the things that are inadequate, right? What a beautiful prayer. I want you to make a commitment to speak life-giving words from a full heart. So make a commitment to fill your heart with good and watch what comes out. Here are five tips. You can Google these later about how to give specific comments that matter. The first is being genuine. You want to be genuine, authentic, heartfelt. Now, here's what's interesting. I love it. I heard on the radio about a marriage conference, and the husbands were given this assignment. Go give your wives encouraging words was the, the theme of the marriage conference. Over lunch, right? And he is, husbands, you're going to hear me say this and say what? I'm not doing that. You told me to do it. I'll wait till, I'll, I'll wait till later, and I'll say it when it's right, when the timing's right. I'm not going to do it because you told me to. And he goes, that's what you're going to say. Wives, do you want your husbands to tell them, or are you going to be mad at you if they don't do the assignment? They go, we'll be mad. And so <laughs> here's what it is. We can think that genuine is lack of planning or heartfelt or spontaneous. Genuine can be true words given out of discipline for every one of us. We can intentionally say, I'm going to give you a genuine compliment at a scheduled time. 
because the words are what's true, not the emotion in the moment. It's anchored in the words. The second thing is be specific. If you give a specific compliment, it's rather like saying, Steph Curry, hey, you're a great basketball player. That's so generic. He's like, well, what part of my basketball is good? He's like, man, I'm telling you, when you get the ball, I see how you just look at the whole entire court, and you're a playmaker. You can actually draw defenders over you, free up somebody, pass the ball to them, and the way you do that is excellent. Focusing on one specific thing that has happened. I so appreciate how you do this. And then the next thing is state the impact. Actually, it's focus on the effort and character was the next on this list, but thinking impact as well. Impact is how it impacts you and others, right? When you do that, this is what happens. We see the whole reflection of good. Focus on effort and character. You know, rather than just giving a student a compliment, like you did really good on that test, it's more helpful to actually say, you put a lot of effort in studying, and I saw how hard you worked at that, and regardless of your score, I want you to know you did a great job on that test, and I saw that you put in all that work. I see how disciplined you are. I see how you come in with intentionality. That kind of compliment goes a long way. I mentioned state the impact. In other words, and the other thing is time it well. You know, sometimes we can just say words when they affect us because we're so excited to say it, but it can be missed because the timing is like scrambling. It's not that it doesn't matter. It can. But the fact that the timing sometimes is really good to go deep. It takes some intentionality there. You might think, I don't know if this, is, if this is practical or doable. Trust me, it's very practical and very doable. If you cultivate relationships where you are bringing healing words, it reciprocates. You can be the initiator of this, and kind words brings healing. I was a youth minister for a while, and we would go on these youth ministry retreats, and we'd make a rule where, hey, we're not going to tease one another. We're going to be kind, and we're going to say, is this still working? Okay, good. And we would say we're only saying encouraging words. And we had this little tagline. We would say, helping or hurting, after a comment, right? And it was just a, a fun way just to kind of draw attention to what you just said wasn't helping, and it wasn't it healing. So let's, let's be helpers. <laughs> helping or hurting was a fun tagline. And whenever they said something that was hurting, they had to give two put-ups, right? And so, of course, when we're starting the week, everyone's just obnoxious about it because somebody will drop something and be like, great move, stupid, you know, just, staying, just being silly and cutting up with one another. And they're like, okay, you got two put-ups. They're like, nice hair, I like your shirt. You know? <laughs> it wasn't specific and it wasn't really kind. But as the week went on, it changed the environment because day one, they weren't doing They were just kind of putting up with it. But day three or four, it became a culture of being kind. And it really made a difference. The culmination, my favorite thing of the whole trip, was Thursday night, picture 30 to 40 students getting in a circle, and then each of them sharing intimate things about what they appreciate about the other, what they learned about each other from the week, how they've seen each other in relationships flourish, what they've seen bring to the group dynamics. And as they shared one minute, they're receiving a minute. Pretty powerful to see an hour hour and a half of nothing but affirming words to someone? It's amazing. We have that ability. It costs zero. A little bit of time, a little bit of our attention to change someone's life, to change their trajectory. When you focus on the good in others and say, I'm going to speak life to you, the negative gets smaller. We can do that.
and our words can bring healing. What would happen if you take that little bit of phrase that was Psalm 19, and you said every day, God, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing to you, O Lord, my rock, my redeemer. Here's your challenge for the week. I want you to ask people to rate your words. You don't have to ask them to be specific, but just say, are my words helping or hurting, would you say? I think they're helping, but how are they received? Is it helping or hurting? And then secondly, I want you to make it a point to give one person one true compliment, one healing word every day this week. And just see if it changes the lens. See if it brings some healing to your heart. One person, one specific comment using those five things. And just see how you feel. See what God does in that little activity. Say that prayer, ask people to evaluate you, and give those compliments and see what God does this week. Can you do that? Can you go 24 hours? Can you go one day without saying anything mean to or about someone? On your own, it might be really challenging. But with a mind saying, Christ is with me, we can do that. Let's pray together. God, we thank you for a chance to reflect on our words. God, we use words all the time. We say words, we sing words, we listen to words, we read words, we send words in texts, we speak words. We're just surrounded by words constantly. And God, sometimes words just lose their meaning. We lose the impact. And so God, we intentionally pause and we say, God, can you just help us with our words? And God, rather than just be mindful of them, would you invade our hearts and help us to get in touch emotionally with you, with others, and take on a challenge of just seeing how rather than words that hurt, we can bring words that heal. And so, God, we ask you, the great physician, the great healer, to do that for us. We love you and we're thankful for you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I, uh, I googled the most common verse in Scripture, and it's always beautiful to see that the most common words in the Bible googled are John 3.16. And so as we come together for communion and we sit at this table, this is a reminder of how we have that relationship with God. We don't come to God and we're like, hey, look at me, look at me, look at me, look how good I am, or look how bad I am. It's just, my child, I love you. Look at these words. For God so loved the world, which includes you, that he gave his one and only son, that whoever, which includes you, believes in him, shall not perish, but have eternal life. This is the time we allow those words to wash over us. As God's kids, as God's kids, we hear those words and we let them penetrate our heart. And we realize we get sonship with God, not based on our behavior, but based on our belief in Jesus. And that impacts how we see ourselves and that impacts how we see every other person. Think about your relationship with God as we prepare our hearts to eat and drink together in just a moment. Thanks for joining us. We hope something you heard today will draw you closer to God and encourage you to know him better. If you found this message podcast helpful, please subscribe, write a review, and consider sharing it with someone else. If there is anything we can do for you, a question we could talk through with you, a prayer we could say on your behalf, or a need you have, please don't hesitate to let us know. We are better together. 
please connect with us soon. Take care.